Today on Launchpad, we learn about how Coke dealers are businessmen, how to drink box wine out of a straw, and uh, Steve and I compete over who's been kicked in the dick the hardest. All right, we're here today with Steve Hirschberger, and we're going to talk uh, yet again about beer and business, two of my favorite things to talk about ever. So, Steve, what brings you here? Well, first of all, beer. Beer. Uh, secondly, uh, I want one of these. for. Isn't it amazing? I want the coolest th- table ever. This this would be like, A, uh, every conference room should have one of these. And secondly, I think this would go great on my Do you think patio. more would get done or less would get done? Um... I think there'd be more productive meetings. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, so the question is, what brings us here? Yeah, well, so what um, What I like about you um, as a person is that you've kind of run the gamut. I mean, you started out in Silicon Valley, correct? Yep, yep. And uh, you migrated yourself back here to the Midwest. You've kind of been involved in all kinds of stuff. Your startup, SteadyServe, uh, really impressed the shit out of me as far as the way you have everything structured. I'm like, these guys look like they know what they're doing. And then I walk back into my shop and I'm like, I got a bunch of hooligans running around. <laughs> I don't know. You're, uh, I have you, no you, idea you're, what I'm Your doing. manufacturing process is you pretty s- damn good. You seem to know what you're doing. I want to know more about what you're doing. I don't know about that. How you got, how you got to where you are now. Uh, everything in life is a happy accident, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that the key is that just like you, you have to look for opportunity when you see it and not be scared of, of, of tackling the opportunity. Because I think most people believe that they will fail rather than they'll be successful. And the problem is for most people, then they never get started. Guys like you, um, maybe me to some degree, uh, we turn, we say, well, hell, we can do that. And then we just start <laughs> yeah. and, and we turn around and go, wait a minute, where, where is every, oh, oh, come on, let's go. It's, it's this way. Yeah. You'd be amazed what you're going to accomplish when, uh, when you're not afraid to fail, when failure is not an option. Exactly. Well, uh, and I think that the, the, the key is, you know, there's, uh, an old axiom my dad gave me many years ago. That's um, it's, it's it's 1% inspiration like that, and 99 per, 90, 99% perspiration. perspiration. So you got once you get the idea, then you got to work your ass off. Oh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, like when I first had the idea for Bottoms Up, I was running around the shop saying, "I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a millionaire." And then it was like three months in, I realized that it was going to be a little bit more than somebody was going to just be standing outside the my front door with a big fat check. Oh, it's in that in that in that case. Everybody just thinks that it just it just happens. Yeah, you know, I, I it was, does not. I was on an airplane once, and I was talking to somebody about uh, you know the, the the state of the valley, and one of the, the one of the two people that were sit, we were sitting at a bar, the old fashioned kind, where they were pouring yeah. and you know wasting lots of beer and lots of foam, <laughs> uh, and in fact they ran out of one, um, which was a real shame because it was it was a really decent IPA. Um, but the one guy says, well, it's, it, it seems to me that like every time you turn around, there's another trillion dollar startup that's three weeks old that they, they, all of a sudden everybody is instant millionaires. And the reality is, as you know, that that's just not the case. It's and, not the case. You hear like what there's maybe three times that's ever really happened, right? Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's about the equivalent of, of an individual, uh, getting the opportunity that when they start playing basketball in junior high to making their way to the NBA. I mean, it's really the same odds. Um, and so I was telling this guy, and he's like, well, you know, you look at Uber as an example, and they're, they're worth what? Uh, what's the market cap today? I don't even know. It's uh, it's, it's substantially. So they went from 
being would be. nothing. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> but I don't know how many billion it is. But they said start, he, his comment was, well, they started from nothing, and it seems like overnight they were an instance of sex. And I said, well, you know, actually, if you go and you look on the web, there's a deck that was that that the the management team created, and they you know they they've been around now for seven or eight years, yeah. and. Um, and, and they were slogging it out for the first four or five uh, with absolutely nothing to show. And, and then ultimately traction started to occur and then they worked harder and harder. And, and then he said, well, now here they are. And, you know, they seem you know, incredibly successful. And I said, yeah, everybody's taking pot shots. And they're, they're fighting probably 30 lawsuits at any given point in time. I said, you get to a certain point and, you know, you have all of a sudden a business and a business is, a, you know, an enterprise. And you've got all of these unglamorous things that you have to do. Uh, like you, uh, you look at your manufacturing floor, and there's lots of stuff that needs to happen, right? And and people don't think. Yeah, I was taping lines that. on the floor the other day. Like, yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. Because yeah. you have to. Yeah. And and people say, well, um, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur is sexy. Well, no, it's not. It's. I don't know. It's I'm just, pretty sexy. It's hard. Well, they, see, that would be you because of your beard. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think. Red beard. But, but I think, yeah, it's it's well, it's more ginger than anything else. Yeah. But you know, who's? Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at the end, um, I think the cool thing is it, it. You know, when you solve problems and you see something materialize, and you and you turn around and you look at all the people you've given jobs to that you've given the opportunity to be successful. Um, and sort of spread their own wings and and take a little risk themselves and see how they mature and blossom as individuals and they see your customers and those customers are doing better because of you and and they you know when you talk to them and they're like hey you know really want to thank you for everything you're doing here's five ideas about how to improve it here's one thing that you're really sort of screwing up royally <laughs> try and fix it okay isn't it nice when people tell you that well, yeah, it's, it's always the worst when they don't, and then because they care, then you find out later that you were screwing the pooch and you didn't realize it. That's yeah. When Why that happens, somebody tell me because I they, fixed it. they don't care if they don't yeah. tell you, but if they do, if they tell you, they care. Yeah. They want you to be successful. That's a that's a struggle that I have with my employees is that I I, I hate it when people hide problems. I'm like I, I want you to the second there's a problem or the second you fuck something up, tell me yeah. so I can help you fix it or we can come up with a better way to do it and. Yeah. Is there is there a method you that you practice or something you do to help? Because um, you got to view it. The yeah. Same way. Well, I do, but you know, I'm going to go back to. I have a friend that run, he also runs a manufacturing company, mm-hmm. and, and uh, he's um, uh, he's down in Kentucky. He's in Lexington, Kentucky. He's a friend uh, friend I went to high school with, and he he has this practice. He carries around a wad of twenty dollar bills in his pocket, and somebody will come up to him and say, "Give you me know, your cash." Hey Terry, <laughs> um, I found a problem. And so he'll pull a 20 out, and he'll tear it in half. And I'll hand him half of the $20 bill and go, great, give me a solution. doesn't matter whether it's a right solution or a wrong solution. Give me a solution. So they carry, they got lots of scotch tape in the office. But, <laughs> you know, he'll give them half the $20 bill. And the key to get the other half is come up with a way. It doesn't need to be what we use. It just needs to be a way. So he gets them in the... the, the, the methodology of thinking about, you know, there is no... I would have to do it with ones. Well, you know, yeah, because quarters are really tough to rip in half. <laughs> yeah. But um, we 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 break down problems in in three categories, and yeah. so it's, so there's there's the oh crap problem, and that's the ones that we always have. So um, you know, I, I show up at this show and I'm wearing a tie, and and everybody else is not. That's an oh crap problem, right? Because yep. I should have I shouldn't have overdressed. <laughs> um, 
then the, then there's the oh shit. You're not the first person to be in a suit. Uh, well, I took it off. Yeah, you I, did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then there's the oh shit problem. And the oh shit problem is the one that you didn't see coming. And it's the one that you need to pay really close attention to. Because if you don't and you ignore it, it, it's like cancer. It metastasizes into the oh fuck problem. <laughs> I knew that's. I knew. I knew this was going to be the progression. But it, but those are the ones that oh you ca- crap oh shit and the, and the oh well fuck yeah I mean problems. the oh, cr- oh crap ones you just ignore because they're they're just nu- nuisances. Yeah. But the oh, the oh shit ones. Water up a duck's back. Right. Yeah. And, and but the oh shit ones you 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 got to you have to be able to recognize them. And if you if you break it down like that, pretty much anybody in business can recognize those three. Now they're different for you or for me or somebody else, but they're going recognize it for themselves and say oh shit okay what do we do about this how do we get all over it how do we reduce it to an oh crap or how do we make it go poof you know because the oh shit the, the oh fox will kill you yeah and and so of those. yeah so you get anybody that in our company that that raises their hand with an oh shit problem you know they we we, we reward them both with praise and they actually you know we carry them around in this little gold leaf you know man car and they on the shoulders um and then we it, it it's funny because it starts in the front of the office and then it ends in the rear of the office in the beer cooler and with them we you know carry them in and lock the door penny penny the door shut <laughs> so they're stuck stuck nice. in, the, in the beer cooler they're next to the beer but the taps are on the outside so they can't drink any of the beer oh, they have to get really creative inside they just, so would they get an extra reward if they were able to actually get beer out from in well the see beer? that's the other half of the 20 <laughs> you've identified the problem you get out if you tell me that the answer so where you started in Silicon Valley, tell me about that. Where, where did you start? I mean, wh- wh- when did you become an entrepreneur? Uh, I became an entrepreneur when I was in college. It was, um, I, I needed money. Yeah. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I started a, a, a company that, that sold you know, trinkets and trash to fraternities, you know, to T-shirts and paddles and all that kind of shit. Uh, and I realized that um, you, know, you, you can sell what people want and what they don't want. Uh, if you just make it their idea that they actually do want it. So, so did that. Um, and, uh, you know, had a great time in college because of that ended up, you know, was able to buy a car because of that much to my, my, my dad's chagrin. Um, I went to, um, went to work. My first job was at Honeywell. So I went to work for a big company in Honeywell. Mm-hmm. So I went up to Minneapolis and, you know, building that has its own zip code. Um, um, got, was a huge company. got immediately lost. And then, um, and I realized that, you know, if you have a boss, uh, your boss's boss is not your boss. So if you have, if you have a, the guy that you work for, uh, who may be, you know, former Marine with a short sleeve shirt and the pocket, you know, protector and, and the flat top hair cut, who's on his way to retirement. He's the guy that signs your paycheck just because his boss is a young guy that you get along with and you go out and you do things with. Okay. Um, so yes. Yeah. So there's a big difference there. There's and a huge, difference there's a huge there. difference there. And then when your boss no longer likes you, uh, your boss can fire you. Yeah. Especially you can see your boss not liking you because you were friends with his boss. Bingo. And so when you're, when you're 24 years old, you don't figure those things out Mm-mm. until you're standing out. It's in so the, innocent. Until yeah. you're standing out, and they, you no longer have a company car. You're standing in in uh, the rain with a box, <laughs> with your going, shit in it. Where is the bus station, and do I have <laughs> enough cash for bus money <laughs> to get back to my apartment? Nice. Yeah. So then you realize, what an awesome life lesson. Well, yeah. And you say, do I want to? <laughs> what did you do? Uh, what did he fire you for? Uh, he he fired me for. If let me see if I can even remember. Um, th- the fact that I was not consistent, which is probably true. Uh, I was not. <laughs> consistently 
uh, documenting my workflows. So, oh, so yeah. you know, uh, I I'd get fired I, for that too. Yeah, well, <laughs> it sounds it, miserable. It, so, AKA not being as detail oriented in certain aspects as I needed to be. Uh, but, but you know, that that's always been an Achilles heel uh, to some degree. So you have strengths and you have weaknesses. The key is recognize what they are. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, move forward. Um, you know, went out west for a while. Uh, had had because I had nothing to hold me back. Um, and then, uh, and then left Indiana, um, and then came back here. My dad had cancer. So I came home, um, and, uh, stayed, uh, met my wife. Um, and, and then, you know, at that point she's from Indiana, you know, my mom was still here. Her parents are here. You know, it, it, we weren't going to go anywhere, which probably was a mistake. But um, <laughs> staying in Indy was a mistake. Well, not staying in Indy. I moved here. Please Indiana tell me. is a great Please place. enlighten me. But uh, I th- I'm a I'm a big believer that spread your wings, right? And so that's what mm-hmm. I tell my kids. And so if my my son when he when he's going to go away to college here soon, if he wants to go out east and if that's where he wants to stay and if that's what's important to him, that's what he should do. He shouldn't ever feel like he has to come home and live in Indiana, right? If he wants to, great. But he doesn't need to. Anyway, so here I stayed, um, and I. At that point, I had um, I'd done a couple things. I had actually bought uh, a medical device from a company called Biomet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a percutaneous pain pump, which means that it's basically a disposable pain um, uh, pain pump that goes on your hip, so you get your knee scoped. I've heard of other types of pumps, never a pain pump. Yeah, so you get your knee scoped, right? And yeah. um, and then they want to send you home because they need the bed. And what they're going to do is they're going to take this little pain pump and they're going to put it on your hip. They're going to fill it full of lidocaine and maricaine, and it's going to it'll be act as a local anesthetic so that you can get up ambulatory and you can go home. Huh. Um, and and that that worked out re- really well for uh, a period of time. And then um, and then there's this great thing about entrepreneurship that every once in a while you'll see this thing called a black swan, and a black swan is some other weekend stuff that's not supposed to happen that does. So. Um, but there's a tie to how steady surf came to be because of that. Um, so we ended up and I, you know, I was an, an investor in the company and we were, business was growing and things were looking really great. And the company had to do, it had a very small, very, very small, um, problem with one of its components. And, and they decided, Hey, it's in our best interest just to be completely, skirts clean in terms of business ethics uh, as well as making sure that FDA compliance was exactly the way it was supposed to be so they did a voluntary recall well the distributor that had the product you know that sent you know rockets shooting in the air and next thing you know the business was filing for bankruptcy because it it can happen that quick it can happen Um, that's for sure so um you you live and you learn, um, and so there. Are, it, Would you have done it differently though? No, I, I don't I, know if I. I could. wasn't necessarily. The problem was I wasn't. I didn't know enough about the medical device business, so I, I saw an opportunity. They, so this company had this device, and they said we want to get rid of it because frankly it's just too small. So we're a billion dollar company, and it only does a couple of million dollars a year. And yeah, it's moving money to the bottom of the line, but it's so small that it's just not worth the liability. We're trying to get rid of it. Here, do you want it? And. We said, well, yeah, but okay, we don't know anything about this. So we ended up finding a couple of individuals uh, that knew a lot about that industry, um, and we were able to build a business around it, and we were fortunate enough to get some um, some very seasoned um, financiers involved, and the business was, was frankly, it was scaling quite well. Um, and then that block swan occurs, and those are just the, the lessons in life that you take. Um, but uh, in the course of doing that, 
uh, I'd also uh, st- stuck with my main avocation, which is data and analytics. And so I had uh, founded a business in Chicago that was focused on social uh, social media analytics. So we, we, we built a product called SPY, Social Performance Index. And didn't do it here in Indianapolis because nobody at the time, this is about when Exact Target was starting to spool mm-hmm. up. And we didn't think that anybody in Indianapolis would get hired to do more complex social analytics. So we, we headquartered the business in Chicago. The and name is very ominous. Spy? Spy? Well, yeah, Social. it's exactly what it did. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what it's doing. It's exactly like, what oh. it did. Um, it, but it helped brands understand who their biggest influencers were. And it was really early, so it was it was akin to being the first you know, iPod versus the iPod phone mm-hmm. right so but you know the the analytics they tend to get more and more sophisticated over time and it grows incrementally um from there so so we did i did that for uh, 10 years started in 2003 and wow. drove ruts in the road to and from hancock building in chicago we had staff all around the country um but i got sort of bored with it uh, and i and i think one of the lessons was josh um i had business partners that were high quality people but they had different goals in life in mind. So what I wanted to do was build business, a business enterprise, build a bigger company that had more value. Um, they wanted a, a small lifestyle company that just supported them, and it was the same every single day. It was Tuesday, same as Monday. Monday is the same as Thursday. Yeah, so you're trying to put it into fifth gear, and yeah. they're it's like, a, I don't want to take it out of To third. me, that was like, did you ever see the movie Groundhog Day? Groundhog Day, yeah. yeah. So it, that was like it was like Groundhog Day every day. So yeah. I'm like, this is reminds crazy. me of my last relationship. Yeah. So and and that is you're like after a while you're like ah, <laughs> yeah. quick kill me. <laughs> yeah. So you you want to get out. Um. So they no they didn't want to take it to fifth gear and I got to a point where you know we were sort of at a standoff. So I I was bored and so well you know what else am I going to do since I'm only in Chicago a couple of days a week. So one of my fraternity Boredom's brothers. the worst. I get bored doing what I do. Oh, I'm like, how the fuck am I even? How am I bored yeah, right this, now? I was bored. I mean, <laughs> I was I was really bored. But it, you know, and and being bored isn't good because time goes by, and if you've got skills, you know, it, it, you're, then you're not putting, you know, the the gifts that you've been given, what, no matter what they are, to use, and you should be doing mm-hmm. that. So, um, so one of my fraternity brothers calls me up one day, and and he goes, "Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur." And, <laughs> And I went, uh, no, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. So That makes me laugh every time. <laughs> so I said, well, okay, you just moved back from Europe. You, 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 were, uh, you ran the finance department for a big consumer electronics company. And, you, you know, you got two kids. You're in your late 30s. And, and you want to go off and start your own thing, but you've never done it. And you're an accountant. Um, I love you, man. But, but this is it, the worst idea yeah. you've so, ever So had. there's this thing called the entrepreneurial lie. So I'm going to ask you the entrepreneurial lie. Yep. So and the, the, the entrepreneurial lie, and for those of you out there, answer the question if you really think you want to be an entrepreneur because it applies to you too. It doesn't require an answer. It requires a response, <laughs> right? So I know you're going to do it anyway. Um, but the, the, the first is uh, it's going to get better in six months, and I'll be home in 20 minutes. <laughs> yep. That's the entrepreneurial lie. Uh-huh. See, because it is a lie. <laughs> it's a lie every it, time. It is you a don't lie. Want it to, but it's not a lie in my heart. It's never a lie in my heart. I always want to be home in 20 minutes and it, I always want it to be but better. But you aspire to be there, but that's, you know, was, but it's a reality that swear, it doesn't I happen. I I want to be home in 20 minutes. It's just, it's an hour, three hours later. And you look up and you're like, <laughs> how did that happen? Shit. Yeah, shit. Time. All right. You know, 10 more minutes. Well, that's another hour uh-huh. uh, because there's always something to do. 
So, but he, he kind of went, <laughs> I don't get it. And it's like, okay, this is not good. Um, so anyway, so I, I said, all right, you want to be an entrepreneur? So uh, I took him over to meet with the CEO of, at the time, the medical device company. And I called up the, the CEO and I said, hey, um, I'm going to bring a, a, a friend of mine over and I want you to scare the living shit out of him. <laughs> well, what do you mean? I want you to tell him about... Uh, it's know. like when they take the teenagers to yeah. prison. Yeah, scared straight. <laughs> scared straight, and, yeah. And, and I said, you know you know, all that FDA liability shit that can go wrong and how everything bad can happen? Well, yeah. I, I want you to tell him all of those things that can happen. And he goes, why? And I said, entrepreneurial lie. And he laughed. And he goes, okay, I get it. So went over, gave him the tour, uh, scared the piss out of him. So we leave... And I said, so we're driving along after we'd walked out. And uh, I said, so what'd you think? And he goes, dude, fucking pissed in my Cheerios. <laughs> That's, and I said, well, sorry, I didn't, I didn't do the interview or, uh, tour. He did. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he goes, well, the least you can do is buy me a beer. Great. Where do you want to go? I'd like to go to Sun King. And I go, what's a Sun King? <laughs> Never heard of it. And they had just opened. So he said, well, it's in Snoopery downtown. So we drove over there and... Dave Colt, who's one of the owners, a f- fabulous guy, was in there. And we walked in. It was like him and nobody else. And I said, you know, can we get some beers, maybe a tour? And he says, yeah, sure. So, you know, pour a couple of beers. I think, you know, it was, they just launched um, Sunlight. So we were having that. And it was, it was good. Um, actually, no, it was Wemac, um, which was really good. Uh, and um, so he starts giving us his tour. And I'm like, well, shit. This is finance, marketing, physics, and chemistry. And we can do that. <laughs> so uh, I said, can you excuse me? Where's your bathroom? So uh, he said, it's back around the corner. So I went to the bathroom. A friend of mine at the time, a guy named Daryl Joseph, was the CMO, uh, chief marketing officer for Goose Island. They were just getting ready to get bought by uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev. So I called him and said, Daryl, I'm in the bathroom at a craft brewery. Tell me everything I need to know about the, the craft beer business in like two minutes. Why? Shut up. I don't need that question. <laughs> Just give me the answers. So he gives me a couple things. We go out. I, we talk to Dave. And so we leave. And we're standing in a parking lot at Sun King. And I go, Sean, we can do this. Business is, is craft beer. So Sean didn't even, didn't even have an angle as to what type of entrepreneur he wanted to be. No, he, well, he actually wanted to be in the medical device space. Oh, okay. And, and so we realized that that's a really, really bad Unless you're from that space and you know all, in all seriousness, all of the uh, the the risks associated with FDA compliance and the the operational requirements, both finance as well as um, of quality control in terms of a manufacturing environment when you're making a medical device uh, that's governed by what's called a 510K stuff that can't kill you but can really hurt you, right? Um, then that that's that's serious business. So you don't just get into that. Um, and I didn't get into it. I, I brought other people into it that knew all about that. Making booze so much easier. Oh, man. And it's so much more fun. So much more fun. Yeah. So, so we, we got and we started Flat 12 Beer Works. Um, and we scaled the brewery. And, and it was a lot of fun. And so one day I get a call from this buddy. At what mine. level did you start? Were you in a garage home brewing? Um, to get so to get a handle on so or did you just it, go it, for it? well yeah both so uh, so a, a friend of mine who was it, in, in the industry wasn't a marketer he's actually uh, in the production he he said there are two paths 
to being a brewer. He said, you can either be a home brewer and, and scale into it. And he said, that's not the best path. The best path is to find yourself an engineer, preferably a chemical, a chemical process or quality engineer that has home brewing experience. But, but their first avocation is, is both engineering uh, and process control. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, if, you, if you're familiar with math, then you know that when you take something, five barrels, and you get moved to 100 barrels in terms of, of production, the math just doesn't all multiply by five. Things change. And I said, that makes sense. So we ended up finding a, uh, a home brewer that really wasn't a home brewer. He was a, he was a, uh, a process and quality engineer. Um, but he had about a 1,200-square-foot brewing facility at his house with... Damn. Uh, I think he had eight taps. So, so he was supplying basically an entire neighborhood with just high-quality beer. Um, so we said, hey, do you want to brew beer uh, for a living? And he said, that's always what I wanted to do. That's my life stream. So we said, well, um, done. yeah, check, check, check. So um, we, op- we then reached out to uh, some really smart folks at uh, a distributor here in town, a guy named Jim Scambry, who was with Monarch Beverage at the time. And Jim knew everything there was to know about um, early stage um, um, uh, brands, um, and he wasn't sh- sh- uh, he wasn't shy with sharing his opinion. Uh, and then we reached out to a brewery called that our brewer knew called. So Arcadia. he's an asshole, uh, raging, <laughs> but in a good way. Yeah. So he would show up yep. and say, "Guys, I love you." But this is fucked up at three different levels, and this is what you Wonderful. have to do. I love people like that. Uh, and actually, in all seriousness, he said at the outset when we had it on paper, he said, "Look, fellas, um, here's the thing. Uh, nobody will tell you. He, he, there's two limiting factors. There's your brew house, and then your your cooler. The brew house is what shit goes into. The cooler is what shit goes out of. And if those two things are constrained or too small, or you can't expand them, and in your brew house, it becomes very very difficult to expand." you will limit your production capacity. And once you do that, then people will look at you as you're, you have the inability to scale and scale effectively. But quality being another key component. So we took that advice to heart. And then we had some other really smart folks at DME up at, in Canada that made the equipment. And then a, brewing, uh, a brewer called Arcadia up in, in Chicago, or in, I'm sorry, in, in, um, outside of Grand Rapids. And one of their assistant brewers came down for a couple of weeks and camped out and helped us stand it up. And it was professional courtesy, and it was just amazing. That's um, awesome. That's so, really awesome. So we, we started small, and but the demand was there, so we scaled. Um, I left. Um, I sold out of the brewery almost three years ago. So we started in 2009, and I exited um, almost three years ago. Uh, because Steady Serve was one of these ideas. Was that, Steady Serve the reason you exited, or you exited? Yeah, no, I, I exited. I actually sold my software from in Chicago, and I and I exited Steady Serve because it deserved to be focused on. So I had a friend of mine that I uh, it it uh, my software from. Uh, this guy, he was president of Harpo, um, and prior to that, he'd been a big muckety muck at, at um, Sony. And we the second time Harpo has been brought up on this show. Really? Yes. Wow, that's kind of scary. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he's a really bright guy. His name's Robert Terzik. Uh, you met? Uh, no, you weren't at Beer Two You weren't there the first day. No, I wasn't. Um, so he just I did hear his name though. Yeah. So he wrote a, he wrote a book called Vaporize. It's really I have pretty a copy. Good. So um, Rob's a really smart guy, and he calls me one day and says, "Hey, I'm flying to New York. I'm a huge beer fan, especially hoppy beers. I'd like to make a stop in Indy. Um, let's go out and try your beers." And I'm like, "Rock on." 
So he, he ends up getting in late. So I pick him up at the, at the hotel at 10.30, quarter 11 at night. He's got a 6 a.m. flight out the next morning. So we got two oh, hours. Wow. He's a maniac. Yeah. So, but we got two hours of good drinking to, to do. Yeah. Um, so we go to Mass Ave. And we go to three places. None of them have it on. So the first one, they'd rotated us off. The second place, they had run out. The third place, they had um, they'd, they'd flipped out uh, our half-cycle IPA for Upside Down Blonde, which was just a, a good but entry-level gate beer, gateway uh, blonde beer. So we said, no. Um, so I thought, you know, well, let, let's just go over to the brewery, and I'll turn, you know, turn the alarm off and fire things up. And by this time, it's midnight. And he's like, dude, you know, no. I, let's just go back to the hotel and see what it – hopefully they'll have it. So they get back and they have the upside down blonde. So, and he, his parting shot to me is, Steve, I really expected more. And I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> this is fucking punch in the gut. No, about a foot and a half lower. <laughs> yeah. um, so, that's what I was going to go with. I was, so, but I don't anyway, know I would keep a PC at all. So, well, how many times did we drop the F bomb on this? And uh, you want to keep several PC? fucking times. Yeah. All right. So, really. <laughs> How do you differentiate the two? I don't. Know. Yeah, well, apparently you do. <laughs> um, it's a real kick in the dick. Okay, that's better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all the way out the back. Um, so uh, I said, you know, why does this happen? And so I figured that there was a psychological trigger for people pulling beer off tap. Well, it turns out they just guess. They don't know. Oh yeah, it's big. Yeah, yeah. holy shit. No, yeah. nobody knows what's coming. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going. Okay, I've worked in industries that are relatively disciplined. And it's got to be, it had to be so frustrating. Oh, so I mean, and I'm like, I remember talking to somebody, I go, beer's like milk. The FDA oversees this because it's perishable, it yeah. goes bad. And I They're said, born on dating, put there for a reason. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Everybody thinks that it's marketing. No, it's there for a reason. Yeah, they turn it into marketing. It, well, exactly. Sure. But uh, so it was, so, so you mean to tell me that you, you manage a just-in-time supply chain, just like Honda does with bumpers. Every four hours, I need to know exactly how many I have. And, and, and everybody in the supply chain guesses, and then you culminate it at the end with COD. So you're paying, you're stroking a check for $10,000 worth of beer, and you don't know whether or not you need it or not. You're fucking kidding me, really? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's exactly how it goes. <laughs> and I'm like, it's this. Oh, not even. It's, it, but it's like... This is crazy. And, and so we started asking people, why do you do that? Well, because it's always been that way. But why has it always been this way? Because it's always been this way. Oh, what's that naval officer's name? Oh, I don't remember. The most dangerous words in the human, human language are, we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. Exactly. Yeah. And then, we went, well, what if, it, what if you didn't do it that way? Well, that makes my brain hurt because that <laughs> throws it in the park. I have to well, think. That's like throwing a car in a park at 60, right? It's like, have you ever done that? <laughs> I did with a tractor once. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so uh, we, we, we said, well, what, what, if you, what if you could solve that problem? But you can't. But what if you could? Well, then if you could, this is what we would want it to do. But you can't do that. So... Um, we started, and we ended up doing it, but um, we started thinking one day, not all that long ago, how many times we've been told you can't do that. And, and we went back to the calendar through 2012 when we started, and we figure it's somewhere between... 50, you wrote them down? No, we just, we actually, my engineers wrote an algorithm. <laughs> to, of course they did. Um, we figured that it's somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 times. 
based on how many people we've talked to and how many meetings we've had and whatnot. I can relate with that. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, and so what we realized, and it's a lot like what you guys have done. It's there's sort of a buddy of mine's at Stanford and I was talking to him about this and he said, so he gave me a piece of advice. He said, in any new uh, disruptive technologies, there's sort of three phase gates. And the first phase gate is, do they believe that the system works dot, dot, dot consistently? And if the system works dot, dot, dot consistently, then you get to move to the second phase gate, which is, do they believe in, in either the efficacy of the system or the data that you're generating? Well, we generate data, you generate an outcome. So the efficacy is, is there value there, right? Uh, and if there is value there, then if you can make your way through that phase gate, the third is, didn't it, then did they believe in the inevitability of you as a standard? And that is, how do you, how do you get, start getting market share? And then and advocates to believe in you because advocates, if you've ever seen the the video first follower, and if you haven't, Google first follower. I haven't. Um, first follower is a video of a oh, bunch people dancing. People dancing yeah, in the field. On, we played it on the show. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How to start a movement or something. Uh, how to, exactly. Yeah. And turns out that if you talk to it's a great um, TED talk, one of the best ones. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's so true. It is. And if you talk, if you actually think about it, um, and I talk to social anthropologists that work in business. They say that that video is um, an analog to how virtually every product adoption curve starts. And it just depends on what the timeline between that first and second follower is and the third and fourth. But they said, inevitably, human behavior is human behavior is human behavior. And if you can get through those three phase gates, then you move from the first follower to the second to the third. And then ultimately, it's all the other. You know, it's like the four people standing around going, well... I guess we better go <laughs> yeah. because everybody else is there. Yeah, it looks like everybody's having so much fun. Yeah. yeah. When did that happen? Well, because they're still saying. It was saying, just a lunatic a second ago. It's and the lone nut. <laughs> yeah, the lone nut. And, yeah. and, and then, but see, then it's, then it's the seven people standing around saying that was a really stupid idea. That are, and then somebody looks around, you know, one of the seven going, you know, it's really a stupid idea for us to stand over here by ourselves when everybody else is over there having fun. Now we look like the lone nuts yeah. and ultimately they go. It's it's fantastic. I've always been really talented at getting people to follow me into stupid situations. I think that's that carry it with me. Well, as long right. as there's not explosives involved, that's probably okay. We were blowing up M80s last night in my uh, neighbor's backyard. It was great. Nobody lives there. It's fantastic. Well, hopefully things flew <laughs> high and, and 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 you didn't record it. We didn't record it, and we weren't really doing that. <laughs> oh, so it was just a good story. Yeah, no, I actually. Uh, I'll show you later. We uh, for um, a friend's bachelor party, we got him a minivan, and he could do whatever he wanted with his minivan, right? So we took it out to down to Brown County to Crazy Pat's house. He's a machinist yeah. that we use to do some stuff sometimes, and he's got this huge piece of property, and we built this rally track. So we're gonna take turns to do time trials <laughs> in the van, and then we're gonna blow the van up with Tannerite, which I'm not yeah, I know what Tannerite is. is. Yeah, so um, we make it half a lap. He hits a bump and tears the wiring harness out from underneath the van awesome. and there's no fixing it. So we just, we proceeded to blow it up, blow it up. I mean, just, it how was high amazing. did you get it off the ground? We didn't get it off the ground, but put some, put some really big holes in it. Oh, so yeah, so, so Mythbusters-esque. Yes. Very, nice. very much so. It was fantastic. Huh? Have you ever made an oxygen settling bomb? Uh, no, I haven't. They are fantastic. So we also had a couple of those. You take an oxygen settling torch. Mm -hmm. Full disclaimer, you, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> and you, uh, you strike a flame that you would use for cutting, mm -hmm. and then you tap the tap the flame out against the anything, piece of wood, and you fill up a bag, 
and we started, uh, we would be out camping and we'd do it and we'd shoot the bags with Roman candles, mm -hmm. which is fun because, you know, the anticipation mm -hmm. of actually hitting it. Mm -hmm. But then we uh, wanted to get more precision. So we took a piece of uh, Romex and a piece of stranded wire and took the little piece of stranded wire and put it between the two You're prongs of the Romex. Too... <laughs> put it in the bag and then when you flip a switch, it, you know, lights it off. But it's amazing. It's so cool. See, see mine, the extent of mine was when I was like nine years old and I took the empty tennis ball can. Yeah. And you put a little lighter foot and you put the tennis ball in and you put the, the that's pretty good. On it and the tennis ball shoots out. Yeah. But that that's as far as I got <laughs> in that type of activity. Always gosh. I always took it one step further. Uh, well, yeah. clearly. Yeah. <laughs> it's how how much more blown up could it be? <laughs> it goes up to eleven. <laughs> yeah, we like to turn it to eleven all the time at Grinon. So another thing I want to talk to you about, uh, not explosions, but so with uh, with steady serve, how how do you gain your valuation? I need four more beers to tell you that answer. Do you? Probably. <laughs> well, you got to wait for it to stop. Uh, well, it, it wasn't going to. It was going to. Well, you know what? I, I'll, <laughs> I'll have to try it on the next one. Practice <laughs> makes perfect, Josh. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, you said you had a hard stop. What time is it? Uh, oh, we have plenty of time. Okay. We have an hour. An hour. Brad usually watches that, mm -hmm. so we don't have a clock. It's, well, he turns the pump off at right uh, <laughs> quarter till. So yeah, he just, the, the yeah, dispenser just, goes off. He would, um, he would never do that to me. So evaluation is, is a funny thing, right? It's, it is a funny thing. It's a, it's, it's a go ahead, thing. you talk. No, I mean, it's, it's a funny <laughs> thing because it's, 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 you, you price your product and in some cases the product is a business at where you think the, the, the value is, meaning um, what is the likelihood of that product being successful at scale? Um, mm -hmm. What is the, um, what is the, commoditization or the brand value of that product so are you a leader or are you a follow, follower um, how big is the market um, what what is the propensity for uh, follow-on growth um, and, and you put all of those things into a spreadsheet and what happens is that you end up coming up with a number that is to some degree an educated guess I was going to say total bullshit but yes uh, well <laughs> and, and I'm trying to feel we put it in a spreadsheet you, you made it sound so quality. Well, and because at the end, in, in, at the in, end it is in, exactly what it is. In, well, in, in reality, I mean, <laughs> it, when we went through our first valuation, um, you know, we were very fortunate. We had a, a, a very high quality investment bank that worked, worked for us. And uh, I recall when we first got them involved, I, I went home that first week after we signed the deal with them. And I was incredibly ecstatic because I thought my life just got a lot easier because they were going to go out and they were going to do the raise. And then they'd show up and go, guess what, Steve, here, here's, here's the money that we raised. Go and build your company. When in reality, that's not what happened. What happened was they, they looked at all of our assumptions and they quite literally pushed me and my team through a screen door and, and went down through every single number. What year was this? And this would have been 2013. Okay. So we were just starting our engineering process. And we were going to raise uh, seven hundred thousand, and we thought seven hundred thousand would be enough. And and we were, you know, woefully underestimating that because of being the naivete of, of entrepreneurs that always believe that you can do it for cheaper and better and faster. Cheaper, better, faster. And, and, and you time. know that drill. Uh, I do. And I, my advice I give everyone now is figure out what you think you need, and then just go ahead and multiply by two, mm -hmm. and you'll be kind of close. Yeah, but try and do it for half. Yeah. And, and that's the key because it always bleeds over, but you always want to pay attention because if you pay, it's the old analogies. If you take care of the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. True. Um, so, uh, so we ended up 
going from 700,000 to a million five uh, in terms of our first uh, um, round, which was a, um, a seed round. But the valuation was based on, to some degree, uh, educated guessing, but on the, the other degree, it was a degree of discipline that those guys provided us in terms of benchmarks on other businesses that were at that same What same other level. business did you use to benchmark against? Because oh. that's a huge struggle that I had. I well, had nothing see, to benchmark. Yeah, I mean, see, you guys are like us. You, you sit out in front, you sit in this, this open greenfield, and there's nobody around you. Yeah. It's hard. It makes yeah. it a lot harder. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, there's I mean, a, it's a great place to be. Don't. What well, is it? It's not. Yeah. So it, um, do you ever drive to Chicago? Yeah. All right. So next time you drive to Chicago, you get north of or, uh, north of uh, Lafayette before you, you know, the old bombed out hotel that sits there. Yep. All right. So, I kind of want to go in it. So do I. Yeah. Like count the heroin yeah. needles. Like yeah. <laughs> what's going on in here? What's yeah, in this and room? Why has it been that way for <laughs> yeah. 10 years? It hasn't been that like, Oh that yeah. Long? Every been, or maybe it's longer. Amazing. I want to film a movie there. I don't even have a plot. Uh, I mean, all like, you need is a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but, but before you get to that place, uh, you go over the bridge uh, that they just now fixed. And there, in, if you look to the right, there's a giant cornfield and standing in the middle of that corn tree all by itself is a big oak tree. Just standing in the middle. I haven't noticed it. Well, I will. Yeah. So I noticed it about eight years ago, and every time I drive by it, I th- I think about you know what we're working on or what I was working on at the time. So philosophical. Oh well, yeah. I mean, two beers in, man. What do you expect? But <laughs> I love it. Every time I drive by that tree, we hug next. <laughs> if, if if you pinch my ass, it's going to be a problem. We might have a problem. <laughs> um, but I think about being out in that greenfield. Well, the problem is if you're in the middle of the greenfield by yourself. You get nobody to do a direct comparison because there's no other. It's like the you know that oak is like well you know how tall am I? I don't know because I'm surrounded by corn. Um, so you have to use analogs, right? So you, you you look to other like industries. So what we did is we looked at IoT um, and we looked at uh, supply chain and so early stage companies that were focused on supply chain for beverage. Um, there were companies that were doing it for you know. Craft soda and whatnot. smart. That's a good way to go. So, yeah. so you get five or six different analogs to try and uh, triangulate where you are. It's like you know flying a plane. So you, you, if you don't triangulate, you don't know where you are because one data point doesn't give you yeah. any. Or uh, Cuban Coke dealers back in the eighties finding them. Uh, yeah, they you know, the and, and they're really fast boats. <laughs> you know, they drop them overboard. By the way, did you see the other day there was a <laughs> those cops that pulled over that van full of hot. Uh-uh. There was a it was a uh, Astro minivan with windows, right? And the entire back, Google it. The entire back was shoved. I mean, they couldn't have got any more raw marijuana in it. I mean, not even in bags, just plain marijuana. But they filled it so full that they couldn't close the back window. So they're driving down the road with just. They were smart enough to produce that much marijuana, but and they then, weren't and then, smart and enough. And then the to back window's open, and there's so I'm sure there's this cop driving behind them going. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> that might have been their tactic. Like, there's no way anybody's going to believe that we're doing this. But uh, somebody's getting killed <laughs> along that way. Bad news, boss. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Somebody's in really big fucking trouble. <laughs> but, so, but yeah, I mean, it's just sort of, I, we just went off topic and I we forgot did. where we were. We're valuation. You're talking about your valuation. Um, You're talking about how you... Uh, Used analogs and how you found like industries. Yeah, and it's 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 how do you triangulate? How do you get from point one to point two? The only way is is to have waypoints along the way, so you know where you need to go. And to some degree, that also helped us in 
you know, where we were in terms of, of uh, you know, our investment and, and burn and how do we manage that. And we, we pay really, really close attention. To are that. you, um, <clears throat> what round are you on now? And I, I mean, I've, everything I've gathered from talking to you doing a traditional round, what round are you on? Well, so uh, no, we're, we're, no, we're not, not doing a traditional round and for a reason which I'll explain. Uh, so we had seed and mm-hmm. then we had an A and then we had an A1 and then now we're in an A2. And so in two of those rounds, they were what's called a finesse round. And the finesse round, and this is where it gets really interesting, because a finesse round is an unpriced round. Because you asked me what your valuation was, and I told you that we went through this process. But in the end, the question was, is it too high or too low? I don't know. Um, and so what will the market bear? Well, when it's just a PowerPoint and an idea, it's just PowerPoint and an idea. So um, you have to be very careful about not undervaluing it or not overvaluing it because that has dilution uh, impact. And so what we decided to do, uh, and this was the advice of, of our investment banker, and it was a wise move uh, on their part, was to do what's called this finesse round, means unpriced. So, so it's debt round that converts to equity mm-hmm. in the next round, but it converts at a 20% discount to the next round. And during that time period that it's debt, it's simple interest at eight, eight or 6% or 8%. So it's so it's, a hell of a deal for the person that put in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a really good deal. But at the time when we were doing it, um, nobody in Midwest was really doing these, or not many people were. So people were like, well, this is stupid. There's no price to it. I don't understand it. But it, you, see a, you saw a lot of it uh, on the coast, and it was, it was more prevalent out there. So we, we had to then start to triangulate. The Midwest investment scene is about where the craft beer scene was, what, like seven years ago? Nah, probably more like 12. 12, yeah. But, um, but, but understand, you know, the Midwest, by its very nature, has always been historically conservative. And it's historically conservative for, I think, two reasons. Number one, you know, the types of individuals that moved to the Midwest uh, – a hundred years ago, the, the Scandinavians and the Germans were just naturally very dogmatic about what it was that they did, and so when they came and they stayed, um, they they built that culture of, you know, let's just be very process oriented and be very careful. See, about I what thought it was like, do. oh, here's the Midwest. I'm good. I don't need to go any further. And then the people that made it all the way out to the West Coast are the people that. We're like we got to go until we can't go anymore. Uh, so yeah, but to some degree, that's um, it, you know that's the Darwinism at, at its finest. Yeah. The people that that chose to go out that way chose, but they those people were just by their Why very nature would you do that. <laughs> well, because they were gamblers. I know. I mean, I would do the same well, thing. I'm asking myself. But like, but see, that's not, that's not in your DNA, right? Yeah. So so uh, so those people that chose to go and, and be riverboat gamblers to do other things. Uh, or pan for gold, or, or you know, frankly, um, we're smart enough to supply you know blue jeans to the miners. Right? Oh yes, you know, Mr. Nordstrom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually uh, I had or a good Levi. Was it? Was that? Yeah, it was. Uh, well, that's how Nordstrom made all his money too. It was, yeah, it was from he made his money oh, off really? the gold boom, but it was by selling everything everybody needed to make it to Alaska. I had a good friend, uh, Gordy Even more brilliant, Gordy Bagnell, great friend. He was uh, he's I used to letter his log trucks and stuff and. He got a he got a gig um, doing just hauling rock over in the oil boom in North Dakota. Yeah, and I we were just bullshit. And I said, "Remember, Gordy, everybody that made the money on the gold rush weren't the ones looking for gold." Right. And it was the next week. He's like, "Hey, that comment you made in that conversation mm-hmm. bought a trailer park. I'm killing it." Like, yeah. <laughs> so he bought a trailer park. Yeah, because they, so, they need a house somewhere. Yeah, and he's not the one looking for oil. Yeah, it's great. 
So, yeah, anyway. but that but right that's so that's how it works. But anyway, so you you ended up with a uh, a very conservative Midwest, uh, which is starting to change because of just the nature of economy. So if you look around Indianapolis, um, you know we have a lot of employees that are in the Research Triangle area in North Carolina. And when we first said, hey, we're going to bring you up to Indianapolis to the the, the home office, right? They're like, oh, shit, me, shoot me now. Um, and because they're in they're in Raleigh Durham, which is a really cool place. So they come into Indianapolis for the first time. We take them to Fountain Square, and they're walking around going, "This is not what I expected. This is this oh, is oh no, Fountain pretty, Square is not what you expected. This is really cool." Yeah, and so you see, there's more diversity uh, in terms of age, demographic, you know, ethnographics, um, um, all all of those things play into uh, the that 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 notion of a really conservative environment migrating away and, and then it, it's compounded when you have people that did very well exiting companies like exact target that now find themselves with the opportunity to reinvest in those types of environment and a great example here in uh, in indianapolis is a company called high alpha and you've got um uh, mike fitzpatrick you've got um christian anderson and scott dorsey which are three phenomenal entrepreneurs in town um, that are very, very bright and very successful in, in, in of the, uh, their own backgrounds. And so they came together to uh, bring both money and talent to, uh, to bring IoT, Internet of Things companies, which is some degree of what we do, um, to the surface. And, and they're not focused on the types of deals that 15 years ago, you know, the handful of in, investment entities that were around Indianapolis or 20 years ago, would have even looked at. And so that brings more diversity into the state, more divergence of new thinking and talent and well, yeah, skill sets. Talent's coming in from all over the well, world, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and work for Salesforce and Exact Target. And I've talked to some other people that have defected at the last Verge event and they're doing their own thing and bringing that and type all, of thinking and, here. And those things compound on one another. And yeah. and so you see young smart people that with all sorts of backgrounds that you know, everybody from people that went to Stanford to people of the School of Hard Knocks that, you know, the, I talked to one guy that, um, you know, he did, uh, he went to a no-name college, I forget, somewhere in in uh, India, and he had a really hard life growing up, but he hustled on the streets, and he became successful, and then was able to get over here. He worked in L.A. for a while, and the company that he, that he was with, he was relatively early, got acquired, and then he went to another company, and that got acquired, and he, he you know, so the guy's in his mid to late thirties and has is done is is doing quite well. Um, so you, you you have those those all of those people that are saying that the old status quo is not the new status quo, and and that's a really great place to be. Yeah, it's it's definitely nice to see it shift that direction because it, it helps guys like you and me. Yeah. It, it definitely does. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be a part of it. It's a uh, this this show is has been fantastic and in getting involved with more and more startup type stuff. We sponsor stuff at the Speakeasy all the time. It's great. Yeah, it's really great. So it's interesting you bring up Speakeasy because I think Speakeasy um, Speakeasy is a great uh, example of of innovation on a couple of different fronts. So you get Speakeasy and Developer Town together, and you look at those two entities, and it's funny because. Um, I took a couple of kids that I'm involved in. Uh, so these, there's two kids that are doing uh, a not-for-profit, and they want to start a, a hotel for homeless. And they've gotten really engaged with the homeless community in Indianapolis, which is, is something I think that is incredibly important. And There's, there's already one um, just past Lafayette, right before the cornfield. 
What? The ho- Hotel for the Homeless. Yeah, well, this one, uh, yeah, but that one's got needles in it. That's that's not so good. I was trying to, trick. I was trying to, yeah, that one just went. <laughs> I tried to get a call I, back I, in and it didn't work. I, I, no, I was, I was going somewhere, you know, nice and you took mm-hmm. us to the dark place. Yeah, I did. But anyway, so, um, so we said, you know, what do you want to do? And they said, well, we want to do this. And so uh, one of the guys that is involved in it is a Starbucks guy. And so we said, well, you know, let's go down. And talk to the folks at, at uh, Developer Town and Speakeasy. Just kind of show you, you know, what being a startup and entrepreneurship is all about. So they get in there. These kids get into the, the, the Developer Town facility, and they're like, "This is what we want to do. We want to put these little little houses on wheels, so that little because it's all about families." So again, you know, so there is a, a company, Developer Town, that had an unintended consequence, and one of the partners yeah, of inspiring something completely, completely, and one of the partners that runs it totally got into it and he's like this is amazing you know we should we need to get you know how, how do we get more involved but their idea is going to spawn other people to do things that are really uh, where are they doing this they're working on it right now they're downtown so these are two kids that uh started on the idea uh as eighth graders at orchard and so they were given this thing called gis which global something initiative right and how do you change the world and so pe- some people, were, some of the kids I were like, I don't know, I'm still working on it. Yeah, well, the problem with changing the world is you, you, you sort of can't, right? Because um, <laughs> well, I like to think you can. <laughs> you, you, how do, if you're in eighth grade, how do you, how do you solve homeless or, or, or a famine in Africa? You can't. No. So, so they, the these, whole pay it forward idea was pretty good. But it is. But so they, they realized that the only way that you can change the world is doing it locally, start locally and, and then and grow it from there. So they said, well, what is it we could do locally that has a material impact that's being ignored? And they found that the city had done not the best job uh, in managing homelessness. And uh, and so Indianapolis, turns out, has one of the largest homeless populations per capita in the country. I did not know that. And I thought it was San Diego and Las Vegas. No, it's a, per capita, it's actually Indianapolis. And, oh, and And they're re- relatively ignored. So I, you need, here's a fact I didn't know. You know what the average age of a homeless person in Indianapolis is? I have no idea. Seven. What? Seven. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, exactly. That's terrible. Exactly. Yeah. So, which is why we said, okay, we're going to help. So we took them to Developer Town. They said, so we want to we want to start uh, by putting together this hotel for homeless that's focused on families. So um, y- you have entrepreneurship that can come from all sorts of places. And these kids, these kids are now f- uh, sophomores at Burbuff High School, so they want to open it by the time that they're seniors. So they're they're working to that, and they've got some, some ambitious kids here anyway but it's no more busy doing drugs and skipping school yeah but you know when you started this um i mean that i mean think about everything that lay in front of you that was a pretty big task i didn't know or maybe i wouldn't have done it but neither (laughs) neither do they true they don't know what's in front of them no yeah ignorance is bliss yeah but (laughs) so um but for to some degree i mean you know there's having the the perfect beer pour is 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 a big deal i would i would agree with you completely so <laughs> in many ways, it's not all that you different. Finish that so you can. Learn I'm going that to it stops on its own. Um, I will. <laughs> um, but but so how many employees do you have? Uh, like twenty. Twenty employees. Twenty employees. Um, so uh, and your conference room. Do you have a, a a space that sits around your conference room table, which is how big? Uh, it has tiny. No, no carpet on it. It's smaller than this room. I don't know. Yeah. So it's like it's like eighteen it's, by it's eighteen by sixty or not even that eighteen right. by twenty. And yeah. your your current footprints, how big? 
26,600 square feet. 26,000. So, so it's grown by an order of magnitude. Uh, and, a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, uh, what, a thousand X almost. Yeah. Um, so uh, in your first, how many Don't years? Don't forget about the facilities all over the planet. I understand. Yeah. But so how many years have you been in business? Eight. All right. So the, your first year, how many employees did you have? None. One. None. How many paid employees? <laughs> yeah, none. None. Yeah. Right. So um, you get beer. We used to sit around and drink box wine and put magnets in cups. Like awesome. I would hustle my friends. I'd be like, I'll buy the wine. We'll watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia and we'll put magnets in cups. And we'd put magnets in cups all night. And that's to, great, but that's really sad. What? It, well, first of all, that, that drink, worked? No, that you're drinking box wine. Oh, box wine's the best. You put it in a can. That way nobody knows you're drinking box wine in a can. So you put it in a Diet Coke can. The only thing that gets you is the purple tea. Actually, you know what we did? Uh, we, we drank box wine in college. and, and you, you cheap? No. Gets uh, drunk? Do you remember the giant pixie straws? Remember? Yes. They were like this long, right? Yeah. So we, we'd go and we'd buy those. And, and we'd take a screwdriver and we'd punch a hole in the top of the, the box of wine. And we had one, one big-ass straw. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So we'd sit and we'd watch football and hockey in the fraternity. And just pass the box of wine around? It just passed. It, it was the beer bong. <laughs> or the wine the bong. The wine bong. No, that's a great idea. Uh, no, we fucked up an order real bad one night, and we had to stop. But but, <laughs> but, but, but think about all the employees that uh, whose lives you've made better. Yeah, I suppose. No, right. really. I mean, I mean, so, so um, you, for instance, when I was over at your facility, you have a card with a guy's face on it. By the way, he's, he's, yeah, he's pretty scary. He's scary as shit. I'm like, dude, I can't put that picture on this. And he's like, you should, the other one was nice and he hated it because it was yeah. nice. He's like, I'm hard. The guy's been shot seven times. Seven times. You should be scared. Of Did you ever see the movie Snatch? Yeah. Yeah? What's it? Uh, the bulletproof Boris that he can be, you know, shoot him all the time and he can't, he can't, he doesn't die? I don't remember that part. I, Go back and watch the movie with Brad Pitt. <laughs> Apparently I was always stoned when I was watching it. <laughs> I should watch it sober. That's yeah, that, that's happen. a good idea because it's a great movie. But bullet for Boris, he can't die. He shoots him. Boom, boom, boom. He keeps dying. And then he goes, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, that's Don L. He's had his fingers cut off his hand. They sew him back on? Yeah. This is one tough motherfucker. Yeah. He, he, it was so, so if he walks if in and asks you about... for a raise, do you go, yeah, no problem? No, we, no. I actually, we just had that conversation. I just gave him a raise. And, um, of course you did. Of course. It wasn't because I was scared of him. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. No, he, uh, you talk about making a good impression on people's lives, and I don't know if I've told this story on the show or not, but he came in my office the other day, and he had, um, he had just had a friend die in a drive-by shooting. So you get rid of some of the foam, get rid of some of the foam. Perfect. Look at all that waste. Yeah, all of it. So you only waste the good stuff, or the bad stuff. Actually, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty that magical. Yeah. Yeah. So he you, came- you know what you need? What you need is you need to have like a little LED speaker. Every time it finishes pouring, it goes, ah. (laughs) The home units come with the thing that sings hallelujah when you open the box. Does it really? Yeah. Hallelujah. That's pretty fantastic. So anyway, Donnell comes to my office and he says, uh, hey, just had a friend get shot in a drive-by shooting. And I want to let you know that that would have been me or could have been me had you not given me a chance to work for you here. And I, I... Teared up a little bit. I gave him a hug and sent him on his way. And it was awesome. There it you was go. one of the best moments of this whole endeavor for me. No. And that's what ultimately, that's what it's all about. Because the other stuff comes. Yeah. I mean, it's all, I don't know if I've I told you this part of it, but um, I, I say it to investors all the time. So at, at some point in time, it becomes not about 
money or any of that. Money, sure, yes, you need. That's the points in the system that you're in the game you're playing. But it's it's not about the money at all. It's about the ride and it's about the experiences and it's about all the stuff we get to do. And without doubt, I mean, money's money is the byproduct of byproduct of doing it well. Yeah. And if you do it well, then ultimately uh, the money does come. But it's in most people. But it, back to the entrepreneurial lie. Most people don't want to put the time and effort in. I saw there was a funny cartoon. Um, I forget what it's called, but it was um, it was the instant gratification. You good? It was a, it was an instant gratification race, and it, it had like all of these people at the starting block, and it said, "Okay, on your mark, get set, go." All right, congratulations, your t-shirt's over here. <laughs> so, there was no race. It's just boom, you're done. And I think that the, that sounds like my kind of race. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. You work pretty hard. Um, <laughs> I, I've seen, yeah, but I hate running. Huh? Well, everybody, have you ever seen a happier? You're a cycler. Yeah, but I get that. You get to sit down. <laughs> um, I, in fact, I just got back from Worlds in Richmond, which was a pretty awesome. What do you experience. think of Lance Armstrong? Uh, I've ridden with him, Have and you? I think um, I think he's an incredibly talented, uh, physically talented individual. Um, I spent about three hours next to him, and that's pretty awesome. I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't spend any time with him. Um, but I'll tell you that um, having. Uh, been in uh, a highly competitive environment. I mean, we had a coach. Um, so I, I raced very competitively through the late 80s and early 90s. Yes, that dates me. Um, and so the coach. Yeah, yeah, fuck you. I, I, I know. I'm catching up. Huh? No, you're not. Um, but it, so it's, it's coach, and he says, he was Eastern European, and he says, Stephen, you're not that good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Way to well, work I wasn't. And, and he says, he goes, here's the reality in the top 1%. The 1% above you is 100% better than you. Damn. Yeah. And it's true. There's another kick in the dick. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but, but you get to a certain level and it's true. Yeah. And the top 1%, the 1% that's above you is 100% better than you. So the question is, how can you beat that? And the only way you can beat that is either because it physically, there's certain things you can and can't do. You know, I'm six foot four and hundred and well 202 pounds I should be 195 but you know with this I don't uh, if I'm it's riding against life. guys that are 165 pounds you know I'm pulling uh, the equivalent of you know seven that's a weight to horsepower thing at that point, well it's right? like it's like dragging seven cinder blocks behind you and and you can't do anything about Great that. way to put that <laughs> but it's reality yeah and so then the question is what do you do about it and and you have to and this like that in business. So HGH, steroids, blood doping. Well, look, um, it, it, when Lance was doing what he did, if you thought he was the only one, you're crazy. Oh no, that's yeah, so yeah, that's what bothers me about the whole thing is that he is the one that got strung up for it. Yeah, but everybody else was doing it. Well, but you know what? He's what he is doing uh, was no different than what honestly whether you love him or hate him, Trump is doing. And, and Trump's like, he's off speaking his mind. And whether he's right or wrong, I don't care if it makes for good entertainment. Oh, it's so entertaining. It is so entertaining. It's so entertaining. I'm having the best time watching him. Did you, did you see the SNL piece? About no, him? no. Oh, it was great. It was awesome. You no. need to go and Google the SNL piece about him this week. I will it was go- freaking awesome. I will Google it. Oh, my tongue's getting soft. Um, Thank you. Eddie. But anyway, so uh, the, the point <laughs> is that at, at, when you get to that um, at that level, they're all doing it. And honestly, it, in cycling, it, 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 I watch the tour anymore, and it's it's a 
to some degree, it's it, it's not as exciting as it used to be because they don't go up the mountain at warp speed. But it's, yeah, because they're not doing as many drugs. They're not doing as many drugs. Yeah, it's like baseball been destroyed. Well, but here at the end of the day, if they're professional athletes, to some degree, in all seriousness, if they're professional athletes and they know what they're signing up for, and they choose to do it, and if it and if they do it in in a regulated way, shouldn't they be allowed to do it? I couldn't agree more. I want to start the Super Special Olympics, where everybody's allowed. <laughs> everybody's juiced. Everybody's juiced. You can have uh, you can have uh, implants as long as it's subdermal, and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and then when they throw the discus, it rips off. <laughs> yeah, well, that's part of the show, right? <laughs> it does look like like Running Man or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like this futuristic game where everybody's trying to be better via any means possible. Yeah, which is like being an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, look, everybody wants a competitive advantage, and you. But the problem, there's a fine line between criminal and entrepreneur. It's a really fine line. Well, I think as several people that live in a certain zip code out of Geist uh, would would <laughs> would agree with. So um, I have. A, Did you? I watched that. I'm like, holy shit, that was an indie. Well, so it's funny. A, f- a friend of mine lives out there, and it turns out that I, he said that. He, so we're driving down a street, and he goes, "So so and so." What's that here. guy's name? So everybody. I mean, it's a national. Tim, Tim Durham. Yeah, Tim Durham. But, but there's like eight of them. So he's apparently there's that zip code is in the top 10 zip codes in the country for white collar crime. Wow. Which is just, in, and it's like, that's a come up as Randy. Well, huh? and I said, well, why am I, 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 maybe I should affiliate with you less. It turns out he's, he's one of the attorneys we work with, but great guy. But it's like, wow, this is, what is it? It's about good to have area? that attorney on your side. I have, it's, I have an investor that is an attorney like that. He'll give you the, he'll give you the, the way it should be done. And then, the and then the reality way you could probably get by with. Yeah. It's always <laughs> like, I like this. It's always have good, to have people that are in the know. Yeah. Uh, this is how it could be done if you wanted to do it on the wink, wink. <laughs> well, okay. You could do that or, 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 or not. <laughs> or not. Yeah. Um, I, just letting you know. You just, everybody in life is choices. Yeah. Right. It's all choices. Um, in the particular conversation I'm referencing, I did take the high road. Also. Okay, well that's yeah. good. Uh, I think that the, I think that the challenge for entrepreneurs is when they <laughs> when they start focusing entirely on the dollar, on the immediate dollar, that's when things go wrong. Oh, it's the worst. I got my uh, one of my marketing guys is trying to sell stuff into where the fuck is it? Guatemala. I'm like, who's going to support it? He's like, quick sale, quick sale. I'm like, it's not about a quick sale, asshole. Like we're trying to build a lasting brand with a with a good reputation. You can't do a turn and burn it doesn't work business deal it'll never work it, it never it works never works nope and never. We, we've seen that too stop it and then but you look at all the guys that uh back to that zip code that were focused on the almighty dollar and then the quick turn uh, what was the other one um marcus shrinker the guy with the airplane that, i'm not familiar with that guy oh you didn't hear about this guy uh-uh. that was great awesome. guy what happened with this well, guy? do you know him oh, well i don't know him personally but i mostly everybody let's get him on the show. story we should well, you can't yeah. he's in prison it doesn't Let's, matter. We'll yeah. do a we'll do on location. We'll yeah, do we'll sixty go. minutes there. You know, it's cool. <laughs> That'd be great. So apparently, he lived out of Geist, and, and he was uh, he was a wealth manager out of a strip mall. Mm-hmm. Um, but he lived he lived large, um, uh, and so he it, the entire thing was a Ponzi scheme, just like um, the other guy. But he uh, he had taken a motorcycle and hidden it in what Alabama or someplace Florida Florida. Florida. It was a uh, and. Then he um, f- flew his airplane and then 
was going and then like jumped out of it and and then it was going to let the airplane crash so and, it looked like he died in the well, crash well but the, of course there's no body in the plane yeah, so but but you know details right yeah <laughs> uh, this brilliant guy who's brilliantly yeah. stolen all this money yeah Blue collar. Blue collar. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it ended up not, not good, but it's like, you wonder, it's like, you know, why would you do this? Because and again, it's, it's all about if I focus on the money and trying to up, always up my peers, which is what I think a lot of people get, get stuck in and they forget what is the value that they're trying to create. And if you remember your, you know, as an entrepreneur, you've raised money and I've raised money that we, we've got two things that we have to do. But there's different ways. There's different ways about going about that, right? You don't yeah. have to. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, I, mean, I don't. I don't know about you, but I look. You know, every morning when I walk, you know, out of the bathroom, and I, you know, you know, sort of like you know, when Notre Dame walks down the hall and they hit that play, you know, play like a champion today. So you kind of give yourself that last look, You're like what am I going to do today? Well, and then you say, well, you know, you fo- if you focus on three things, you focus on your customers first, your shareholders second, and your employees. Uh, along alongside with your with your shareholders and if if you focus on those those you know three buckets of people um in that way you can't help but be successful as long as you're paying attention to the details Mm -hmm. or in our case you have other people that help you pay attention to the details yeah know what you're good at yeah no that's a that's a good way to go about it i mean it's kind of i mean it's it's exactly what i've done the whole time unknowingly that i was doing it you know what i mean yeah well but see it, but that's the great part is it's innate in you right yeah. you you there's the, the, the you've got you're wired a certain way which means that you have the entrepreneurial gene which you were dropped clearly dropped on your head as a child right. many times yeah um and and that you've got um you've got empathy and you care about the people that surround that that, that you surround yourself with your customers that's employees. the most important part it really is. I have a weird situation at Grinon in that the my core team is they're actually my best friends and they have been since junior high. Mm-hmm. It's the strangest environment. It's the Michael Scott mentality. Like you should never hire your friends, so I hired my very best friends. <laughs> it's so, great. So do you also have the plaque on your desk that says, you know, world's best boss? I should. I should have that. Why don't I have that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean it's just known, I guess. <laughs> So I that's an enti- that's an entire maybe we office. should get it for each other. Huh? Do you have it? Uh, no, but I have a Mang Feng Poo trophy, which I'll give you. I I saw the Mang Man Feng Mang, uh, Fang Mung Poo. Fang Mung Poo. Fang Mung Poo. Fang Mung Poo. You, you you will be awarded. What's that. the guy's name that won it twice in a row that day? Uh, Adam. Adam. <laughs> yeah, but a he's a mi- he's a Microsofty. But but he, uh, honestly, there is nobody. Uh, there are a few people in the company that care more about the customer than he does. Oh yeah, no. And, and just because he's, well, we give him shit because he's a Microsofty, <laughs> you know, and deservedly so. You've you've got a great team. I had a great time hanging out with your crew the other day. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, it was fun yeah. because they're like, "Who's that guy? Well, well, why is he here? I can't tell you that. Why? Well, he he runs Grin on Industries. Well, what's that? Bottoms up." <clears throat> <gasps> I've seen that on TV. I love that. That's awesome. Why is he here? Because <laughs> we're, we're getting ready to work with him. What are we doing? I can't tell you that. We're filling a beer. I can't tell you that. And so now, now there's, there's, this, there's this buzz in the company that's like, you know, so what, what are we going to do? So, and it's just fun because it's, it's like, it's, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, it's like open the purple curtain and go, ta-da, this is what we're doing. <laughs> They're like, fuck yes, let's go. I can't wait for you to have a dispenser installed in your, 
Uh, well, you, what do you mean, Brian Clark? He can't wait either because Brian loves himself some beer. And nice. the faster he can pour it up, the better off he is. <laughs> Hands free. So he, uh, although there are certain members of my company that uh, so some people will like their own personal glass. Others want their own personal pitcher. We can do both. I know. Yeah. And I, but I'm not going to tell them that. That would be bad for productivity. <laughs> you don't want a pitcher, though. It goes bad. Oh, no, not with some of them. <laughs> um, yes. I, I'm, I'm in. It's going right. to be fun. Back to the pixie straw. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to cover? We covered valuation. We covered, I wrote for, oh, that was that dance thing. Oh, what's your biggest mistake? Oh man! Where did you fuck up the worst? Where did I fuck up the worst? Um, it's like my favorite question for the show. Um, I think the place that I fucked up the worst. I have a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, well, that's why I'm sorting through it. Um, can it be weekly? <laughs> it could be weekly. Uh, well, then this show would go on for a long time. Um, <laughs> By week. Honestly, I think that place where I fuck up the worst chronically is in 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 not listening to my wife as often as I should. Because she's is she going to listen to this episode? Probably, and is that why probably you're not. Saying that? No, no, no. But every every major mistake I've ever made in my business career, um, I've skimmed over the fact that she's like, "No, do not do that," or uh, "You need to listen to me." And I have an opinion. I'm like, "Yeah, fine." Um, you know, I've been married 20 years, so wow, that's yeah, good. Um, and, See, my marriage couldn't make it through the business. It made it through a felony arrest, yeah. but not the business. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but my, my wife recognized the entrepreneurial lie coming into it. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it's that, that she just knew that. And, and that was okay. But what she's not okay with is when, I, when she's, and she's, she's been right probably 99.999% of the time. That's impressive. Yeah, she's pretty good. Um, but it doesn't mean I listen to her all the time. <laughs> Which is a problem, and so that's that's probably where I've I fucked up is is listening. I was not expecting this. Is <laughs> listening to my own head, but see that that's the, the problem with an. I wasn't entrepreneur. expecting you to castrate yourself over the well, biggest well, mistake. That, but an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur always believes they're uh, that they're right. Yeah, right. That's what makes us us. Well, not always. Most of the time, but not always, because the question is, we're not always right. But uh, so it's like when. Uh, you listen, <laughs> your staff comes to you and says, Josh, I have a better idea on a way to do this. Yeah, no, I love to be wrong. It's my favorite thing. But for the, but you just contradicted yourself. I did just contradict myself. So drink your beer. Okay. Well, I, but I'm always right no, first. drink your right? beer. Okay. Yeah, drink it all. Mm-hmm. Drink it all. There you go. So penalty taken. Penalty taken. Um, but uh, so, I, I, so what's your, what, what is your biggest fuck up? What's your biggest mistake? Oh, that's a long story. Um, my biggest fuck up was getting uh, caught up with my uncle manufacturing anabolic steroids, uh, which turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because I wouldn't be sitting. You in made your own at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a whole lab and everything. Yep, just like that poster. <laughs> Apply your and you did. What you applied yourself? I applied myself. Why is that not in your office? <laughs> Why is that not in my office? Is a great question. I need to get... Where'd you get that? I'll get, I, I uh, get that. A guy on the internet, Scott Johnson, he runs Frog Pants Studio. He sell, he drew that and sell, sells it. Great. I'm, I'm going to get one. Yeah. No, that needs to be your wallpaper. <laughs> um, that was my big... I have... Let's see. I have a lot of big mistakes. I hired a CEO that um, claimed... Or he didn't claim. He had a Harvard business degree. He had an engineering degree from Boston University. Uh, turned out to all be a giant lie. 
mean, it was it was crazy. Like so, like print resumes online lie. No, like he had those credentials, but <clears throat> we it, were working with a uh, thermal forming company, and he's like, "Hey, what we would do is we would contract it to this company in Indonesia." Uh, and yeah, so he was in Indonesia. Incapable, yeah. Turned out to be his family's company. Ooh, yeah, yeah, all kinds of weird shit. Um, ordered a piece well. of equipment. My biggest mistake is that getting out of that mindset of we can do it cheaper, faster, better. Mm-hmm. Um, when sometimes you should just pay a lot for something that's going to work perfectly. Yep. And have somebody else. Oh, do that's it. the red machine. The red machine. The yeah. big red turd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, should have should have gone a different direction. Didn't. So so, so that bring that uh, begs another question. So as we end the show, a couple other things. How do you feel about resumes versus people? I rarely read resumes. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll read it to see how it's constructed, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't hire based on degrees. I don't hire based on, um, do you feel mutts are better performers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of my top performers are mutts for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you look for? No, notice that I'm interviewing him now. You are. That's fine. That's great. I look for that. It's a spark. What, so tell me. So like Donnell, Donnell, the guy that got yeah. shot seven times, he got his job for, from one sentence. And it was a uh, name, three things that your last employer would have complained about, about you. Mm-hmm. And he said two things that I don't remember. And the last one was Donnell, why'd you put so much pepper on this? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you're fucking hired. <laughs> like, what? That, I mean, the way he sold it, the way he yeah. landed it, I mean, it had nothing to do with his job. It had nothing to do with the position. It had everything to do with the way his he, overuse of pepper. Yeah. Well, no, the way he landed the joke yeah. was why he got his job. It was the, by far and away the best interview we did. Really? Yeah. And it was all his charisma that got him the job. So felon at the bottom, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had heart and you can see it. So if you could vote. <laughs> I can vote. Can I vote? Yeah, yeah I can no, vote. F- uh, Darnell. Oh, Donnell? Yeah. Don, so um, if, if, um, if individuals like that can make it in your company, yeah. if, uh, I guess my point being is, I, I tried to make a leap in a joke that may take a couple steps. Um, okay. I uh, fucked up a few jokes today, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you use him as an example to the rest of your employees that if, if, if so you've got individuals that have excelled in your business that have come from really shitty backgrounds? that the background is almost irrelevant to their ability and the opportunity that lays in front of them? Uh, the company is so tightly knit together. I don't know if I've needed to use it as an example like that, but as we would grow to the point of not everybody being connected mm-hmm. as tightly as I would like them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I would do that. I think. So what does world domination look like for Grinnon and, Oh, I am being interviewed. I don't know, uh, Steve. Uh, I struggle every day with um, keeping because I have I have two employees specifically that are like, we need to be more corporate. We need to be more corporate. We need to get more structure. And I am on the other side of it. Like we don't we got we can do this without that. You don't have to sit in a cubicle. You don't have to you don't have to live this corporate bullshit nobody cares about you you're a number there's a big difference between corporate and order i would agree with that and in corporate is bad yeah because corporate builds silos and silos build um 
lacks of lack of trust and and, and pe- I've I've had, I've worked and, with companies where I'm out with the people of the company and they're talking about the infighting and the just stepping on each other yeah. and you get them alone you put a few drinks on them and you find out who somebody really right. is in a heartbeat yeah. and I'm like I don't want to do business with you yeah. I don't want to do business with you I wrote at this all. very email to my employees over the weekend that we were talking about uh, publishing metrics for the company mm-hmm. and so uh, we're going to publish all of our uh, our team's metrics for everybody to pay, t- pay attention to. And we're going to actually do it as a football game. And, and so I got a call from one of my employees. It's like, you know, is this, you know, is this sort of car dealership like? And I said, no. It, it, the, the problem is, so, so I used to work in uh, my uh, analytics firm in, you know, big, big companies, all of the big tech companies. And, and the thing that we found is that as they got more, as they got bigger, they got more siloed. As they got more siloed, it was their group inside of their division, inside of their team, and everybody else was a competitor. So they competed with their own company for resources, and and they would actually create disinformation. Yeah, again, oh my god, yeah, and I've it, experienced that even on a small it, level. And, and it's I'm like, insane. What in the fuck is going on? I can't yeah. do I can't do my job if I got bad information because you're trying to make yourself look good. Right, it doesn't help anybody. No, and so if you can avoid that. I mean that that that's that and, and so you got to do that when you're small. So corporate's bad, organization and structure is good. Have you heard of the new style going around the holocrossy? No, no bosses. Zappos recently switched to this. Um, I, I I don't know the full details of what it. What is the name of it? It's called holocrossy. Hol- that sounds like. I know it was put together. <laughs> somebody wrote a paper on it. I Maybe think. Maybe a better name. <laughs> I think they could name that better. They, they probably could. It wasn't Zappos that came up with the name, but <laughs> so it's like democracy. One of our lead but, investors was a Zappos investor. But so, um, they've yeah. they've switched to it, to, and it, I don't really understand how it works. But it basically, there's no bosses. You kind of do what you feel you're best at, and. Again, I don't. It's through. It's something about. Uh, You're gonna need to bring more information to the table. I, I think I know, that maybe you know. There's so there's such a thing as um, you know overextension into a certain area. That that may be one of those. You gotta have. You have to have some sort of anchor. Right. Somebody has to make a decision. And, and there's got to be some form of so. centralized leadership. Yeah. Otherwise, people just spin. They spin. It's it's it, it is so one of the most challenging things that. Uh, I deal with is actually making decisions. People don't realize how hard that is. Right. Nobody, nobody knows how hard. That is. Sure, in your personal life, decisions are decisions. But when you have when you make a decision that affects twenty people and those twenty people's wives and children, like it's heavy. Amen. It weighs on me daily, and it takes a lot more out of me to make those decisions. I, mean, I know you can relate with that. Mm-hmm. It's, totally, it's a really different experience. Like, well, and th- those are the th- those are the things that wake you up at three fourteen in the morning. Yes. And, and, and that's the difference between, um, you know, I think, uh, being an empathic leader, you know, somebody that really cares about their customers, their employees and their shareholders because they're thinking about the impact that it has on them rather than the people that are focused on how do I make the dollar today? And, and I really don't give a shit what like Bernie Madoff, do you really think he gave a rat's ass about the impact that he had on everybody that he was negatively impacting? If he did, he wouldn't have done it. Yeah, he couldn't couldn't have it, it would or it was too late when he realized that he did but you wouldn't have ever eventually he you would never at some point there's a there's an engineering concept you know as you know the tipping point right there mm-hmm. but as you approach the tipping point you can't once it starts you can't stop it and you always know when that is occurring and 
you know, I'm, I'm sure those individuals um, recognize that. But the good news is you have a different style. Hopefully I have a different style. I think you do. Yeah. Uh, and then it's definitely different than mine, but also different than the norm. And we have this kick-ass like table. Yeah. Oh, crap, oh shit, oh fuck. Oh crap, oh shit, oh fuck.